What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins. A quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Video Land. Tonight, I talked with Brian Volk Weiss. Brian has a new Netflix show called The Toys That Made Us. The series will explore the story of some of the most iconic toys from the 1980s. Please welcome the man who will take us back to our childhood memories, Brian Volk Weiss. Brian, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Brian, let's start with um, let's start with your personal toy story. You know, why the fascination with toys? Take us back real quick to your childhood. I mean, I was always into toys. Um, if I had to guess, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, and even if I was, you can't really you know psychoanalyze yourself. But I, I'm an only child. And, uh, you know, I was alone a lot, so I, maybe that put a lot more uh, focus from my mind onto the toys than uh, if, if I had a lot of brothers and sisters. So I always played with a lot of toys, and, you know, I, I took my toys with me, uh, or some of my toys, wherever I want. You know, I took them to summer camp. Um, when I went to college, I took some of my favorites to college. When I moved out to L.A., they came out with me. Then I started bringing more and more of my toys from my childhood out to L.A. every time I went home. And then, at some point, and this probably started in college, you know, I started buying toys that I would never play with, but I would put on the shelf because, you know, I'd be happy to see them. And that's, that's really how it started. I don't remember a time in my life not being surrounded by toys. That's awesome. And, like, I have a fond memory of uh, myself and my father where I couldn't go outside. It was uh, it was snowing, and um, I was sick. And so he brought, like, a mat from outside with snow on it, and we just played, you know, until that snow melted. So do you have any memories like that growing up that uh, it really connected with you? I mean, my, my strongest memory of that nature is... In I mean, possibly one of my only memories uh, similar to that is um, I used to bite my uh, fingernails and, and chew them off. And uh, my mom told me early in the year that if I went the whole year without biting my fingernails, uh, she would buy me the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and believe it or not, I immediately stopped uh, biting my fingernails. And uh, come Christmas, I, I had a Millennium Falcon. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> So I always love this question here. It's like, how did you play with your toys? You know, were you careful and precise and strategic or did you just slam them together like Michael Bay? No, I, I mean, my toys, like, my toys were all effed up, you know. <laughs> I would even put wax on them to, like, simulate bullet holes and wounds. <laughs> um, I would, you know, we didn't have firecrackers growing up in New York, so I didn't do that kind of thing, but... You know, we would make parachutes and, you know, throw them off the roof. Um, you know, and I mismatched all my toys, you know. So G.I. Joe was fighting Transformers, was fighting Star Wars. I used to have G.I. Joes and X-Wings all the time. So um, a very good friend of mine uh, threw out his His parents had thrown out all his toys uh, before he went to school or something. So I got his X-Wing. So I was one of the only people I knew who had two X-Wings. And I used to, I honestly used to play with X-Wings with the G.I. Joe figures um, much more than I did with the Star Wars figures, you know, probably after like the early to mid-80s. Yeah, that's how I was too, man. All my toys ended up in a, in a big pile 
just ready for an adventure. Um, but what are what are some of your favorite toys out of your personal collection back in the day? Like I was a huge G.I. Joe, He-Man, Star Wars kid, but I also had those other toys like, you know, I don't know if you remember these or not, man, but my dad bought me the entire Police Academy line, you know, and the Dungeons and Dragons and Power Lords. So wow. I kind of had a mixture of stuff. Wow. Did you say Police Academy line? Oh, my God, man. We had the handcuffs. Yeah, the, the Police Academy wow. handcuffs. That's I don't, impressive. We yeah. didn't have that. <laughs> I'm surprised anybody remembers it. Like there was one where you push a button on the back and the guy's pants falls down. I, that was like one of my favorite toys. <laughs> yeah, I mean the main toys I played with were uh, Star Wars, GI Joe, Transformers, and Lego. Uh, I, I never was into He-Man, um, so I, I never got into He-Man or, or pretty much anything else. Like those, those are really my only toys. Right on, man. Like my I had a lot of them. The uh, in the studio here, our mascot is actually a my pet monster. <laughs> he looks over the studio. I've been supporting this series since the very early stages of development. I'm very excited for the premiere on the 22nd. But for our listeners who aren't aware, can you tell us about your Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us? What's it all about? It's uh, it's an eight-part series that's been broken into two parts. Uh, so the first four episodes come out on December 22nd, and all I can say is the second four um, come out in 2018. I can't say when yet. Um, so each episode is, you know, 45 minutes approximately, some a little longer, some a little shorter. And we really got into the story of the toys um we we were not you know we worked very closely with collectors every episode had at least one expert some episodes had three or four experts who were all big collectors but the show is not about collecting the show is about the story the history of how did star wars toys come to exist how did he-man come to exist and the other thing i always like to mention about the show is it, it's it's not a history lesson. Like, it, it, we really tried to find a way that was fun. We tried to add a lot of humor to the show, but at the same time, there's a lot of emotion in the show. Um, you know, a lot of the people that we interview, you know, they're talking about their, their golden years of their lives and careers. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what anybody's talking about. If they're passionate about it, um, you can relate to it somehow. And that's really what we tried to do, uh, was just really find the human creative story that led to all the iconic toys. That's awesome. And so there's been a little bit of confusion from people coming through the studio about the structure of the show. And you said it's going to be four, and then you're going to do a four again later. This isn't going to be a, a binge watch like the Netflix model. Well, it is going to be binge watch in that you can watch four at the same time. So on the 22nd, all of the first four come out. Okay. And then in 2018, the second four come out. Okay, and what so are those first four? You can binge four? watch four at a time. Okay, and what are those first four going to cover? The first four are Star Wars, Barbie, He-Man, and G.I. Joe. Wow. And that is what we call season 1A. Okay. And then in 2018, we have season 1 and that is Transformers, uh, Star Trek, Hello Kitty, and Lego. That's nice. Those are some really good lineups. Those are really good lineups. Are you uh, planning on, now if this goes well, 
Um, looks like you got some room here for some maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We got a lot of turtle fans in the studio. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if we get a second season, and we're not going to get a second season unless the first season does well, but if we get a second season, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is, is literally the top of the list of what we didn't do in season one. Awesome. Anything for uh, like old wrestling toys? If there is, a, it depends on how many episodes. If we get a season two, big if. Yeah, yeah. You know what? But it, it um, sounds. It to give us... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. It just it sounds like a perfect fit though for Netflix. You know, um, the toys that made us. You know, they're doing nostalgia better than than anyone else. I mean, they brought us Voltron, Fuller House, Stranger Things. I mean, I just seen today that yeah. they just announced She-Ra is coming back. Um, on Netflix, yeah. so they they clearly understand the importance of the '80s and '90s market. So I think this is going to fit in perfectly. I believe me. I hope you're right. This has been the greatest experience of my entire career, and uh, nobody wants to make more of these than me. Awesome. Did you shop the idea around, or was it always a Netflix original? Oh yeah, no man. I was trying to sell this for like five or six years, maybe even more. Uh, we came really close to selling it to a couple other places, but at the last minute, uh, they didn't bite. And, you know, my company does a lot of stand-up comedy, uh, so we produce a lot of stand-up comedy for Netflix. So, you know, I know a lot of people there. And I just kept bugging them. Uh, and then eventually, finally, uh, well, I was given some guidance on what kind of show that they would be interested in um i went off on my own dime and you know we made like a five minute example of what the series could be and they loved it and uh, that's what got us uh, our offer but i i spent a long time trying to sell this excellent so what was your experience like working with netflix do you feel like this is your show on the screen or was it more of a collaborative process it, it was. It's a, it's a great question. Um, it, it was collaborative, but I feel like it's my show. Like the executive in charge of the show, this guy named Nat. Nat was like the greatest executive ever. Like he gave the best notes. You know, he. You know, when we turned in our first cut of Star Wars, it was almost two and a half hours long. <laughs> I bet. And when I did that, to be completely honest with you because I've been waiting so long to make this show, I was like, you know, maybe we'll cut 10 minutes out. And, <laughs> you know, Nat and Netflix were really good at explaining to us the kind of show that would work. So even though my initial cut was two and a half hours and the final cut was under an hour, I really still feel like it was my show, without a doubt. But at the same time... Um, there were times where we would be given notes to cut some things, and I would say, you know, listen, I don't think we should cut it. Here's why. And they were always respectful and understanding, and to the best of my knowledge, uh, supported us 100% of the time. But we didn't really push back very much because the notes were so good. That's excellent. Excellent. So how long altogether have you been working on this series? You said that you've been trying to sell it for many years, this idea, but how long did you actually go out and shoot and uh, and get all the footage. Oh, you mean after we got the offer from yeah. Netflix and closed the deal? Yeah. I mean, we started hiring people last October. The first shoot technically happened in November, 
and then full bore production began in January of this year. So we have technically been working on it, you know, for about 14 months. Wow. So you said you had like two hours of just Star Wars. I mean, how much, how many hours of footage did you have in general? You know, that's a really interesting question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know, but hundreds and hundreds of hours. <laughs> oh, maybe. wow. I don't know, man, maybe even thousands of, of hours. We, we shot 306 interviews. Uh, we went yeah. to six countries. We went to 19 states. You know, in California alone, we shot in six cities. Um, you know, we went to Palm Springs twice. We went to San Diego. We went to San Francisco. We went, you know, we went all over wow. the place. So That's awesome. Uh, we, we, we shot a lot. And to be honest with you, we, we were shooting last week. So we're, we're still shooting. <laughs> and this comes uh, out the 22nd. <laughs> but we, we, yeah, we shot an interview last week and, you know, we shot some beauty shots of uh, some of the toys last week as well. So we're still going. Now, have you seen the final cut for the first four then? I've seen the final cut, of course. Yeah, I've definitely seen the final cut for the first four. We basically have final cut for episodes five and six, and we're very close to locking seven and eight. Awesome. Now, do you have a favorite segment out of the first four? You know, it's so hard for me to answer that question without sounding cheesy, man. Oh, go ahead, um, you man. You know what? No, I do. <laughs> I do. I don't want to give anything away, uh -huh. but... You know, I'm a huge history buff, and I watch a lot of History Channel shows, and I'll be vague about my answer so I don't give it away, but basically, we took two designers from the 80s, brought them back to their office building for the first time in like 40 years, and had them walking around the floor they used to work on, oh, cool. where everything is gone. The company's long since gone. And, you know, we had them, and it was a completely empty floor. It was, like, really weird. It was, like, there, were, there was, like, nothing on the entire floor except, like, dozens and dozens of nice office chairs and bags. So it was kind of weird. But we had these two guys who, like I said, you know, these are the golden years of their lives walking around the office saying, oh, that's where that toy, oh, so-and-so sat there and that toy was invented there. Oh, so-and-so sat there and that's where this was created. And it, it I mean, I literally was crying um, watching it. it. It was so powerful. That's awesome. Uh, for video landers, to give them a, a little bit better picture, who are some of the people that you interviewed? Any favorites or standouts? Besides those two, like any any big interviews? Oh yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's funny. Everybody has a different definition of of a big interview. Exactly. You know, we interviewed Michael Bay. We interviewed Dolph Lundgren. We interviewed Peter Cullen. You know, so those were, I guess, you could say, some of the the bigger interviews. You know, for Hello Kitty, we interviewed Paris Hilton and some other people. So, but. And those were great. I mean, those were great. Michael Bay was like, it was literally, I mean, wonderful. But for me, what was very exciting to us was finding people that had never been interviewed before. So, like, we found the guy, his name's Mark Pevers. We found the guy that George Lucas said, hey, um... I want there to be Star Wars toys. And he's the guy that got on the airplanes and went to 
Mattel and Hasbro and Mego and Parker Brothers and everybody slammed the doors in his face. And he's the guy that went to Kenner and basically started the ball rolling that led to the toys. That's so interesting. To the best of my knowledge, he's never been interviewed before. Wow. When we were in Tokyo, we interviewed the guy who created the original wooden models that would become Optimus Prime. You know, he didn't speak a word of English. We had to have a translator. He brought Polaroid pictures with him that, again, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has seen before. Um, you know, we met the guy whose job it was to basically come up with what would become the Transformers. He showed us a lot of stuff that was like prototypes, but never got made. Like he showed us this VHS Transformer. It was like a life-size VHS tape that would become a Transformer. Like I'd never seen anything like that. So it, it, it was stuff like that that was just... I mean, literally, as such a geek, you know, myself, I'm like, you know, my, my job is just dropping almost every place we went. And like I said, many times I literally teared up, you know, hearing these stories. You know, we met Bob Budiansky, who, uh, you know, created all the characters and wrote all the comic books for Transformers. You know, we met the guy who, you know, came up with, uh, you know, all the characters and everything for G.I. Joe. You know, it, it. we saw the legal pads where the descriptions were written down of Starscream and Cobra Commander and oh, Destro. Wow. It, it, it was just mind-blowing, man. That's awesome. And you talked with uh, Dolph Lundgren as well, right? We did indeed. Did you guys talk uh, He-Man? Uh, that's actually all we talked about. <laughs> was that a fun experience? Yeah, it was wonderful. He he was really nice. He was really funny. He was really honest. Um, his schedule is bananas. Like, I didn't realize this, but he's, like, working on, like, two series and two movies. He was flying to Australia and to Canada, and, I, like, it was, it, like, he really, we, we probably spent six months trying to schedule that interview, and, like, he was only in town for, like, 40 hours, and he squeezed us in. Like, he, he, he was amazing. Same thing with Michael Bay. I mean, we were trying to schedule that for six, seven months, and, uh, you know, he finally, you know, these are all really busy people. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he gave us, you know, an absolutely illuminating uh, hour, uh, more than an hour, actually. So, but yeah, Dolph was great. Really funny. That's awesome. And uh, what would be your holy grail interview? Someone that you, uh, you haven't had a chance to talk with yet, but you want to. I mean, the only person who we really wanted that we didn't get, we got everybody we wanted, uh, would have been George Lucas. Oh, and no, um, we just didn't get him. That would have been awesome. That would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But everybody else we wanted, uh, we got. It, it was really cool. Awesome. Um, you know, your official Facebook page uh, for the Toys That Made Us um, had uh, you asked uh, members some questions? And I'd like to get your answers to those questions. I just want to geek out with you for a few minutes here. If you, if, if you could only have one toy as a kid, which would it be? Only one. Oh, Millennium Falcon. Yeah, Millennium Falcon. That's awesome, man. I'm turning. Or are you talking about a toy I didn't have? Because if that's the question, then it would have been the GI Joe whale uh, or the Cobra hydrofoil. That's Neither let's, of which I had at the time. Yeah, let's go that route, man, because I uh, I was a huge He-Man fan, but for whatever reason, I never had a Castle Grayskull, and I'm turning 40, I'm 39 now, I turned 40 in, well, about 
14 months and on my wish list for my birthday to my wife, I'm like, I need a Castle Grayskull in the studio. You know, I'm 40. It just needs to happen, right? I mean, I even had the Ewok Village, you know, which was pretty cool. So that's like, that's like one of mine. But in your opinion, what was the best toy feature from the 80s? Not to beat a dead horse. I think it was that little secret panel on the Millennium Falcon where the characters could hide, simulating <laughs> that thing from the from A New Hope. That's uh, awesome. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> right on, dude. I I fell in love with um again He Man. I don't want to beat the dead horse either, but uh, with He Man, man, that battle armor, you know, where you would hit it and then it would click. And you'd get the battle yeah. damage. That stuff was awesome, man. But, you know, I just bought one recently from the local toy store. That stuff does not hold up, man. <laughs> that thing, it just wants to stick all the damn time. I'm sure, man. Yeah, I was never into He-Man. I, I really don't know why. By the way, because of the show, now I'm into He-Man. I, I, I bought a Stinkor. Uh, I got a Ram Man now. I got a Skeletor. <laughs> so, But I, I was never into He-Man until about five months ago. Awesome. Has there been any fans on the Facebook page that have sent you pictures of, of their toy collection that got your respect? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we get, you know, we get between five and 25 pictures a day from different people. <laughs> um, so sometimes more. I mean, over the weekends and holidays, sometimes we get 30, 40, 50 different people sending us their collections. But... I mean, this one guy, I, I don't know where he was anymore. It was like, it was, I don't know where he was, but I mean, he, uh, I mean, he, it, it was literally like he lived in this giant house that the entire basement, which was like, it wasn't like a square one room. It, it was probably like five or six rooms for a basement. And he had put in, beautiful back and below lit shelves like what you'd see at a jewelry store on every wall for four or five rooms and he sent us pictures and a video of it and dude i mean it was bananas <laughs> i mean we went to the the official toy museum in rochester new york and this guy had like 85 percent of what they did and he built it by himself and they had like you know thirty people working there, so it, it, it was mind-boggling. What's what's your personal collection look like now? Is it pretty impressive? I mean, compared to what I just told you, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I have you know eight or nine shelves with you know hundreds and hundreds of figures. You know, some go back. Uh, you know, some go back. God. Uh, you know, 40, 50 years, some even more than that, you know, um, and then some of which I got last week. Yeah, know? no, so yeah. It's, uh, you know, I got a whole Batman collection, a whole G.I. Joe, you know, I don't have that many Transformers, actually, but, you know, I have, like, five shelves just for uh, Star Wars, and, you know, I have a whole shelf of just Star Wars vehicles, then I have a whole shelf of just, I have actually two shelves of just Star Wars figures. Wow. Um, and then I got, you know, a couple other miscellaneous Star Wars things elsewhere. But I don't know if you're into Star Trek or not, but, you know, Eagle Moss makes these beautiful Star Trek ship miniatures, many of which have never been made before. Like, that's three shelves, you know, probably over 50 
80 different ships. So it, it's pretty, I mean, people, even toy collectors, um, but especially non-toy collectors, when they come in here, I mean, they're just, I mean, literally like, whoa. Is, is it hard for you doing, you know, creating this show and not buying new stuff? Do you have to, do you find yourself slapping uh, your hand? That's what I've been saying to that. Like, I would say before this show, every year my collection grew like 05 to 0.8%. This year, it's probably grown like 9%. Yeah, it, 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 it's starting to get... So, I mean, I've been making a lot of jokes about my kids not being able to go to college. <laughs> you know what, too? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm one of those guys that when I do an interview or, you know, when I have an awesome conversation, I'm like, man, I was like, I want to put it on my wall. Like, you know, you guys sent me the toys that made us poster. It's going on my wall, you know? And, uh, you know, thank you, by the way, for whoever sent that out. But um, Thank you. Thank you for putting it up. Oh, dude, I love it, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, you going out, do you find yourself like, man, like, these people that you've interviewed or these people that you have respect for, do you find yourself like, you know, uh, I don't know, autographs or anything that just like a, something that you want to take home because of that experience meeting some of these icons? You know, I, I was very respectful of all of these guys. You know, a lot of them I took pictures with, um, but, you know, a lot of them are these, you know, really humble people that like were borderline shocked we even wanted to talk to them you know so you know i didn't you know i was very respectful um some people were even jokingly said i was too respectful okay. but um you know I, I i tried to be very very respectful of everybody and not you know for some of these guys you know this happened 40 years ago 50 years ago and you know, to just sit there and hammer them with questions yeah. about, you know, you know, why did E-Man do this? Why did Barbie do that? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, you know, I told you, I'm in the comedy business. So I've done a lot of stand-up comedy. And, you know, every now and then I meet someone and, you know, they're huge stand-up fans. And, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything. I'm honored if anybody wants to talk to me about anything. But, yeah. You know, when you're getting on the hour mark and, uh, you know, you're uh, you're standing in the grocery store, uh, you know, <laughs> wanting to, uh, you know, check out and leave and get home, you know, it gets a little grueling. Yeah. So I definitely was mindful of that um, and really I tried to be respectful and not, you know, torture these people with a thousand questions. Plus, you know, we interviewed them, so we really got everything answered that we needed answered. Man, I'd be the, I'd be the worst person for this job because I'm very sentimental, you know, and I'd I would want to bring something no, home with me. <laughs> That'd be so hard. Um, but just a, another quick question, you know, uh, I know we're talking about the toys that made us, but what do you think about these new vinyl toys, like, you know, Pop Funko line? You know, like last few years they've been just dominating the market. My son had so many I couldn't even see his bed. What do you think of these yeah. things? I think they're great. You know, I think they're great for a bunch of reasons, but, you know, the main reason I think they're great is, you know, a lot of characters that were never made into toys are now becoming toys. You know, I have, you know, now, like, you know, for example, from Guardians of the Galaxy, now there's, like, a whole bunch of Nebula, you know, figures. But when, when Guardians of the Galaxy first came out, you know, they made 
figures of the main characters, but they didn't make a Nebula figure. And, you know, the only Nebula figure I have in my collection is, you know, uh, one of the Pops. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Did they even make a Black Widow, or did they finally do that? I don't know if they did. I don't know if they did. But, like, you know, they made Pulp Fiction... You know, they made Fifth Element, you know, the uh, the Funko, or the, sorry, not Funko, uh, Re, or what's it called? Uh, what are the ones that made, like, the new figures, but oh. they look like they were from yeah. the 80s? Are they, oh, yeah, yeah, where it's like Alien and, and things like that? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, they have, like, that Star Wars design? These is, you know, they're really making things that you can hold and inspire you that were never made before. Yeah. Is, is there is there any toy that you would like to see make a comeback? You know what toy I really liked? I mean, you're asking me what I think, so, you know, I'll give you an answer. Um, but I, I'm not saying this would be a good business decision for any company. But the, the toy that I really liked was the Silverhawks. And the funny thing is, I never really saw the cartoon. I never completely understood what the hell was going on with those toys, but I loved the toys. Yeah. The toys were beautiful. Another example, maybe a better example, because I actually think this could be successful, was, and you could argue it's still being made, but I would bring back in a big way Robotech. Like, I, I don't think people understand how amazing Robotech was and I really think easily could be again. Mm, yeah. How old are those Robo Robotech toys now? I mean, I got some Robotechs that go back to the early 80s that were made by Matchbox and a couple other Japanese companies. But I just got this beautiful new Robotech earlier this year, like in March. Um, gorgeous. I don't know if you're into Robotech or not, but there's this huge mech. His head is like four gigantic cannons. His name is Monster. Um, his arms are cannons. Um, and they just made a beautiful giant. It's like two feet tall. Um, so I used to have a little one that Matchbox made in the 80s um, that I still have. Uh, but the new one is just gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. Man, I hope this is really successful for you guys, man, because, like, I would really like to get deep into, you know, like, um, some, like, maybe a cult episode, you know, later in the future, talking about some of this old school stuff, like Power Lords or, uh, you know, like, was it called Nightmare Warriors? I think is what it was. I mean, there's some old stuff back in the day that yeah. I think would be a fun episode. We, we want to, if we get to make more, I'd love to do a themed episode. Um, and I would call it, like, the toys that should have not been made. And if we <laughs> oh, really great. look at just some bizarre toys that is like, what? <laughs> who, who came up with this? <laughs> How did this get approved? Like, so much money goes into making them. But, you know, one of the things I learned from making this show is it's probably the most interesting and overall encompassing thing I learned about the eight stories is the difference between success and failure of each line is a billionth of an inch. Like, why did He-Man work and the, you know, uh, you know, cops didn't? You know, why did Transformers work and, um, you know, those, the, you know, something else didn't? So it's really interesting to see why certain things worked and others things didn't. And, and luck... Luck played a big part in it. You know, a lot of the toys in the 80s, 
like He-Man and G.I. Joe that succeeded. A big reason why they succeeded was either by purpose or by accident came out on a non-Star Wars year. Um, so, it, it, you know, Transformers came out on a non-Star Wars year. So it, a lot of random things led to these toys working. Yeah, I bet you could just, I know we're talking again 80s toys, but I mean, you could probably do a, you know, a whole episode on Phantom, or uh, the prequel toys, and also these, uh, the new toys coming out, you know, currently, especially these Black Series and all I'm kinds of stuff. I'm glad you said that, I'm glad you said that, because that is a misconception about the show. We do cover the entire history of the toy line. Oh, the awesome. The majority of every episode focuses on the 80s and 90s, but... I mean, we we have uh, Last Jedi toys in our Star Wars episodes. So, oh, man. Um, you know, we have Lego uh, sets that came out three weeks ago in our Lego episode. So it, it does cover the entire history of the line. Man, that's awesome. Are you? And I'm sure you're excited for the Last Jedi, right? Yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing. This is what I always tell people. I remember, like it was yesterday walking out of Phantom Menace and like, I mean, I literally couldn't talk until I woke up the next morning. I was so depressed. <laughs> so I think psychologically what's happened is I don't get excited about these movies till I'm in them and hopefully liking them. So yeah, yeah. like I'm going Saturday morning. I'm not going Friday night. Like I just, I really like, I, I cannot, I mean, I'm embarrassed by this, but like, I was really bummed out uh, walking out of Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. I just had a conversation with um, some guys over at the Ministry of Cinema, and they did a documentary called The Prequel Strike Back. I would definitely check it out. But it's a fan's journey of just dealing with the prequels, <laughs> you know? And it's pretty interesting looking at it from a cinematic uh, point of view. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm so excited. Man. I've been geeking out this week. And I, I just want to add this, that, man... It's a great time to be alive. I mean, we get some Star Wars this week, and then on the 22nd, you know, we get the toys that made us. Man, it's a great time to be alive. Star Wars, 80s toys. That's, what do you? What else do you want, man? It's like uh, peanut butter and jelly, man. You, uh, you're, you're very kind. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's next for you? I mean, you know, we're always working on a lot of shows and doing a lot of things, but, I mean, really... The, the only thing that I'm just super focused on is, uh, is the toys that made us. And I just, uh, I, I hope people like it and we get to make more. I mean, that's, that's really my main concern and everything. I, I seriously, I'm pumped. I can't wait. Uh, Brian, thanks for talking with us. Is there anything else that you want to add to tonight's conversation? Anything that I didn't cover? I mean, the only thing I would say is, uh, you know, just I, I'd love to know what you think after you see the show. You know, shoot me an email or DM me or something. That, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, as I said, you know, we've basically been working on this. We've been working on this show for 14 months, but I've had this idea for a long time, you know, for over half a decade. I, I'm very curious to see what people think, so I'd love to hear. Yeah, there's really nothing else like it. There's no, definitely nothing like it on Netflix. I, for the life of me, I don't know why there's nothing like it. Yeah. So, um, I, I feel very lucky that we were able to be the ones to do it. Excellent, man. Well, I'm excited. So, um, I also want to give a shout out here at the end of the episode to, uh, Kokomo Toys and Collectibles. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, Brian, but, uh, Oh they're... my God. Do you live near them? Yeah, man. I'm like, uh, 45 minutes Dude, away. I, I am obsessed with them. 
Oh. Like, I, they, like, they follow me on Instagram. I follow them on Instagram. And, and I don't want to promise anything about... First of all, I'll say this. I will go there before I die. It literally looks like heaven. Oh, yeah. But I'll say this. If we get a second season... I will find a way to go there. Like, it's in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, like, it's, in, it's in Kokomo. It's, uh, you know, just a small, you know, little community, you know, with, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a small community. And uh, uh, yeah, just a great little it's toy like a store. It's museum where you can buy the works of, like, it, it literally looks like heaven, man. Oh, man, like, I got my I son hooked on it. That place. I got my son hooked on it. Like, you know, we'll take the 45-minute drive on a Saturday and uh, we'll go down there, and uh, it's it's funny. We have this ritual, you know. My son, he is he just turned eighteen, and uh, we'll wow. go in and we will walk one aisle. I love, I love that you're two years younger than me. <laughs> Your son is eighteen, and my oldest is uh, three and a half. Oh yeah, isn't that nuts, man? I have friends like that. It's like you just wow. It's just you know, it's funny how that stuff works out. <laughs> but my son and I, we, <laughs> my son and I, we will go in and we uh. We have this thing where we can't jump out of line or we can't jump from aisle to aisle, you know, because they get new stuff in and we have to go buy every single case, you know, no matter if it's the new stuff or the pops or the turtles or Joe's, we have to walk down every single aisle. So every time we're in there, we're in there for, man, a good hour, you know, hour and 45 minutes. So uh, that's where I got my pet monster for the studio, so... No, I'm glad uh, you've heard of Kokomo, man. That's pretty crazy. I wasn't expecting that. I, I've never been there. I've <laughs> never been there. I want to go there, but I've never been there. Well, I, I imagine you, you know, being this guy that's been everywhere, you know, all the, like, the, the most amazing toy stores of all time, and I'm like, I'm talking about our little, you know, Kokomo toy store, and you're like, oh, man, I want to go there. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm obsessed with that place. With the, the, I mean, yeah, absolutely obsessed. Like I said, they... They follow me on Instagram, and they like some of my pictures. They know all about this show. You know, they had a poster of the show up. I don't know if it's still up or not, but, I mean, we, I, I will make a pilgrimage there. Like, what airport do I fly? Like, what's the closest major airport to them? Oh, man, I would say, you know, unless you can find something small, but I'd probably say... Indianapolis, maybe completely wrong. I would probably just message, you know, their their Facebook page, you know, or give them an email. But maybe Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I will. I will make a pilgrimage there. Yeah, it it literally looks like my definition of heaven, and I, I like I would need a shopping cart there. Yeah, no doubt. That's where I'm going to get my Castle Gray School too. So after you watch nice. the after you watch the toys that made us, you're you're pumped with nostalgia. Go to Kokomo Toy Store and uh, pick up your favorite toys. So um, you can. Uh, where can they find you at again? Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I, I live in LA. Awesome. And then you also have the Facebook page, which is the Toys That Made Us. Do you run that page? Uh, our company does, yeah, with Netflix's help, of course. Awesome. You can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook, Adventures in Videoland. We're on Tumblr, Instagram. We're all over the place. But the conversation begins and ends on face, uh, Facebook. You've been listening to Criticism in its finest hour. So until next time, my good people, peace out and stay groovy. Yeah.